Chapter 29 of France and England in North America, Part 3, La Salle, Discovery of the Great West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Oman, Williamsburg, Virginia. La Salle, Discovery of the Great West by Francis Parkman, Jr. Chapter 29, 1688-1689, Fate of the Texan Colony. Henri de Tonty, on his rock of Saint-Louis, was visited in September by Couture and two Indians from the Arkansas. Then, for the first time, he heard with grief and indignation of the death of La Salle, and the deceit practiced by Cavalier. The chief whom he had served so well was beyond his help, but might not the unhappy colonists left on the shores of Texas be rescued from destruction? Couture had confirmed what Cavillier and his party had already told him, that the tribes south of the Arkansas were eager to join the French in an invasion of northern Mexico, and he soon after received from the governor, Denonville, a letter informing him that war had again been declared against Spain. As bold and enterprising as La Salle himself, Tonté resolved on an effort to learn the condition of the few Frenchmen left on the borders of the Gulf, relieve their necessities, and, should it prove practicable, make them the nucleus of a war party to cross the Rio Grande and add a new province to the domain of France. It was the revival, on a small scale, of La Salle's scheme of Mexican invasion, and there is no doubt that with a score of French musketeers he could have gathered a formidable party of savage allies from the tribes of Red River, the Sabine, and the Trinity. This daring adventure and the rescue of his suffering countrymen divided his thoughts, and he prepared at once to execute the double purpose. He left Fort Saint-Louis of the Illinois early in December in a pirogue or wooden canoe with five Frenchmen, a Shawano warrior, and two Indian slaves, and after a long and painful journey he reached the villages of the Cadoz on Red River on the 28th of March. Here he was told that Hyens and his companions were at a village eighty leagues distant, and thither he was preparing to go in search of them when all of his men, excepting the Shawano and one Frenchman, declared themselves disgusted with the journey and refused to follow him. Persuasion was useless, and there was no means of enforcing obedience. He found himself abandoned, but he still pushed on with the two who remained faithful. A few days after, they lost nearly all their ammunition in crossing a river. Undeterred by this accident, Tonté made his way to the village where Hiens and those who had remained with him were said to be, but no trace of them appeared, and the demeanor of the Indians, when he inquired of them, convinced him that they had been put to death. He charged them with having killed the Frenchmen, whereupon the women of the village raised a wail of lamentation, and I saw, he says, that what I had said to them was true. They refused to give him guides, and this, with the loss of his ammunition, compelled him to forego his purpose of making his way to the colonists on the Bay of Saint-Louis. With bitter disappointment, he and his two companions retraced their course and at length approached Red River. Here they found the whole country flooded. Sometimes they waded to the knees, sometimes to the neck, sometimes pushed their slow way on rafts. Night and day it rained without ceasing. They slept on logs placed side by side to raise them above the mud and water, and fought their way with hatchets through the inundated cane brakes. They found no game but a bear, which had taken refuge on an island in the flood, and they were forced to eat their dogs. I never in my life, writes Tonté, suffered so much. In judging these intrepid exertions, it is to be remembered that he was not, at least in appearance, of a robust constitution, and that he had but one hand. 
They reached the Mississippi on the 11th of July and the Arkansas villages on the 31st. Here, Tonté was detained by an attack of fever. He resumed his journey when it began to abate and reached his fort on the Illinois in September. When the King of France abandoned the exiles of Texas to their fate, a power dark, ruthless, and terrible was hovering about the feeble colony on the Bay of St. Louis, searching with pitiless eye to discover and tear out that dying germ of civilization from the bosom of the wilderness in whose savage immensity it lay hidden. Spain claimed the Gulf of Mexico and all its coasts as her own of unanswerable right, and the viceroys of Mexico were strenuous to enforce her claim. The capture of one of La Salle's four vessels at San Domingo had made known his designs, and in the course of the three succeeding years, no less than four expeditions were sent out from Veracruz to find and destroy him. They scoured the whole extent of the coast and found the wrecks of the Amiable and the Belle, but the colony of San Luis, inland and secluded, escaped their search. For a time, the jealousy of the Spaniards was lulled to sleep. They rested in the assurance that the intruders had perished when fresh advices from the frontier province of New Lyon caused the viceroy, Galvez, to order a strong force under Alonso de Leon to march from Coela and cross the Rio Grande. Guided by a French prisoner, probably one of the deserters from La Salle, they pushed their way across wild and arid plains, rivers, prairies, and forests, till at length they approached the Bay of St. Louis and descried far off the harboring place of the French. As they drew near, no banner was displayed, no sentry challenged, and the silence of death reigned over the shattered palisades and neglected buildings. The Spaniards spurred their reluctant horses through the gateway, and a scene of desolation met their sight. No living thing was stirring. Doors were torn from their hinges, broken boxes, staved barrels, and rusty kettles, mingled with a great number of stalks of aquabuses and muskets, were scattered about in confusion. Here, too, trampled in mud and soaked with rain, they saw more than two hundred books, many of which still retained the traces of costly bindings. On the adjacent prairie lay three dead bodies, one of which, from fragments of dress still clinging to the wasted remains, they saw to be that of a woman. It was in vain to question the imperturbable savages who, wrapped to the throat in their buffalo robes, stood gazing on the scene with looks of wooden immobility. Two strangers, however, at length arrived. Their faces were smeared with paint, and they were wrapped in buffalo robes like the rest. Yet these seeming Indians were Larcheveque, the tool of La Salle's murderer Duhat, and Grolet, the companion of the white savage Rudder. The Spanish commander, learning that these two men were in the district of the tribe called Texas, had sent to invite them to his camp under a pledge of good treatment, and they had resolved to trust Spanish clemency rather than endure longer a life that had become intolerable. From them, the Spaniards learned nearly all that is known of the fate of Barbier, Zenobie, Membre, and their companions. Three months before, a large band of Indians had approached the fort, the inmates of which had suffered severely from the ravages of the smallpox. From fear of treachery, they refused to admit their visitors, but received them at a cabin without the palisades. Here the French began to trade with them, when suddenly a band of warriors yelling the war whoop rushed from an ambuscade under the bank of the river and butchered the greater number. The children of one Talon, along with an Italian and a young man from Paris named Bremont, were saved by the Indian women who carried them off on their backs. Lavechque and Grolet, who with others of their stamp were domesticated in the Indian villages, came to the scene of slaughter and, as they affirmed, buried fourteen bodies. Lavechque and Grolet were sent to Spain, where, in spite of the pledge given them, they were thrown into prison with the intention of sending them back to labor in the mines. 
The Indians, some time after de Leon's expedition, gave up their captives to the Spaniards. The Italian was imprisoned at Veracruz. Remen's fate is unknown. Pierre and Jean-Baptiste Talon, who were now old enough to bear arms, were enrolled in the Spanish navy, and, being captured in 1696 by a French ship of war, regained their liberty, while their younger brothers and their sister were carried to Spain by the viceroy. With respect to the ruffian companions of Hyens, the conviction of Tonté that they had been put to death by the Indians may have been well-founded, but the buccaneer himself is said to have been killed in a quarrel with his accomplice Rutter, the white savage, and thus in ignominy and darkness died the last embers of the doomed colony of La Salle. Here ends the wild and mournful story of the explorers of the Mississippi. Of all their toil and sacrifice, no fruit remained but a great geographical discovery and a grand type of incarnate energy and will where la salle had ploughed others were to sow the seed and on the path which the undespairing norman had hewn out the canadian de imbreville was to win for france a vast though transient dominion end of chapter twenty nine recording by nathan oman williamsburg virginia end of france and england in north america part three la salle discovery of the great west by francis parkman jr